Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is The Leper, The Lady and The Lord by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, we repeat the words this morning, open the eyes of our hearts. Jesus, we want to see you. As we come to your word, I pray that our spiritual eyes and ears would be open. That your word would not return to your void, Lord, but accomplish that for which you've sent it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. If you've got your Bibles, as we move into uh, Easter week, I wanted to talk about one of the most prominent events that happened in this week. It happens after Palm Sunday, uh, and I'll, I'll expose a little bit more about that in a moment. But if, if I had a title for this morning's message, it would be The Leper, The Lady, and The Lord, and I'll unpack that in a moment. But uh, back in the 1700s, there was a man by the name of Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf. I know, right? What's wrong with Jones? <clears throat> <laughs> However, a prominent man of history, and I won't give you his whole biography this morning, but uh, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf in the year 1719 decided that he would travel Europe and he wanted to travel Europe and see the sights and so he's had a Christian upbringing and was brought up in the church but decided that he would go on his merry way. Not long after he had embarked, he comes into an art gallery in a place called Dusseldorf, which is not in Australia. And while he's walking around the art gallery, he is struck by a particular painting. It's the painting of Jesus on the cross. Here's a man that had heard about Jesus. Here's a man that grew up in church. Here's a man that had Christian parents and brought up in a Christian home. And however, when he sees this painting, he's struck. He said with every stroke, his testimony would be, with every stroke I saw love in his eyes. And at the bottom was the inscription, I have done this for you. What will you do for me? Count Nicholas von Zindendorf would actually spend hours in front of that painting weeping, weeping until they kicked him out. His testimony would be from that point that Jesus was not just the saviour of his soul, but here's the important part. That day he said, Jesus conquered my heart. Wow. We're going to have a look today at an account of a lady who it is obvious that Jesus had conquered her heart. As we begin this morning, we begin with Luke 7, verse 36. I want to introduce you to the first character. The first character is one of the Pharisees asked him, Jesus, to eat with him. Now, one of the Pharisees, and I I need to kind of Uh, explain what's going on here. Uh, This account is written in every gospel. There are commentators, there are scholars that may argue that the account in John chapter 12 is a completely different one, that it's another lady, but there's there's actually strong evidence that each account is the same. We we read it in Matthew 26, uh, Mark 14, Luke 7, and John chapter 12. It's important because John chapter 12 gives us a really important clue to what's going on here. But it's kind of like this pulpit for a moment. So many people say, you know, when we come to the Gospels, there's contradictions in the Gospels. You know, they're all supposed to be telling the same story, but there's differences and contradictions. Well, if I asked everybody in this room right now to describe this pulpit, 
Apart from the fact that you say there's an awesome guy standing behind it. That's what you were going to say, right? Exactly. Yeah, thank you, Terry. Uh, if I asked you to describe this pool, but everybody on this side would describe what they can see here. Everybody over here would probably describe this side. And Michael, for example, would describe this side. And if I was describing the pulpit, I would describe what I see here. We're all describing exactly the same thing, but we have different perspectives. There's no contradictions here. But I appreciate the different perspectives because we're given more information. This Pharisee, this, this Simon the Pharisee, we're going to learn his name in this account and also in the account in Mark 14. Simon is not only a Pharisee, not only a religious zealot, not only an opponent of Christ and what he teaches, but he is a leper and he thinks he's keeping it a secret. He thinks nobody knows. But everybody that is there knows Simon's a leper, but he's covering it up. Interesting note about leprosy. Leprosy in the Old Testament is spoken of as a shadow of sin in some respects. You see, leprosy of the flesh is very much like sin in our souls because leprosy, unfortunately, deadens the nerves and the sensations And sin deadens the nerves and the sensations to God. And we have a leper that should have been ringing a bell. We have a leper that should have been outside the town. We have a leper that should have been declaring as he walked around, unclean, unclean, unclean. You will note in the Gospels, no lepers were ever healed. They were all cleansed. But Simon thinks he's got it covered up. Simon thinks that he's... He's hidden this from everybody. But one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he, Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house. Never turned down an invitation. Jesus, I have not seen Jesus once in the Gospels turn down an invitation. Invite Jesus into your life and see what happens. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And maybe we're like Simon this morning. Maybe, maybe we have a place for Jesus. Maybe we have, we have invited Jesus into our lives. Maybe we have a place for him at the table of our hearts, but he occupies a place alongside of, of everything else. Why would Simon ask Jesus to come? Why? Is it because he's sympathetic to Jesus? No evidence of that. The Pharisees deeply opposed Jesus. Does he want healing for his leprosy? Maybe, but he doesn't want to tell anybody that he's got it. But there was a a habit amongst the first century Pharisees. There was this kind of rivalry amongst them, and it was, they kind of liked to gather celebrities. Simon would like to say that he had Jesus at his house. Having Jesus at your house and having a place for Jesus is different to Jesus conquering your heart. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf found that out. Now we're introduced to our second contestant this morning. Verse 27, and behold, a woman of the city. Those words say enough. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. We're all sinners, yes, but her sin was notorious. She had a reputation amongst the town. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that she was a prostitute, but it appears as though she has a reputation. It appears as though her sin has an enormous reputation. Everyone said, we know this person. And this is why John 12 is so important, because John 12 gives us her name. Her name is Mary Magdalene. 
And for those conspiracy theorists, no, she was not the wife of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene is not her last name. She was from a place in northern Galilee called Magdala. And, and Mary Magdalene is very prominent because they name her in the Gospels. A lot of women, we will read in Luke chapter 8 that a lot of women followed Jesus and they followed him because they had been healed. But it says in Luke chapter 8 that Mary had been healed and set free from seven demons. Before this event, Mary had encountered Christ. She knew what it was to be set free. This Mary is the Mary that would sit at the feet of Jesus while her sister is busy in the kitchen. In first century uh, Israel and Jerusalem, we need to kind of give a little bit of context here. Uh, women were not considered to hold the place they do today. Oh, this is what I love about Jesus. In John chapter 4 in particular, and in this account in particular, Jesus remarkably elevates the value of women in society. Uh, John chapter 4, the woman of the world was a Samaritan. Shouldn't have even been talking to a Jew, but would be the first evangelist. So I don't know what you do with this whole women shouldn't be in ministry thing, because Jesus obviously thought that women had a place and a story to tell. And this particular woman here, this is what I love about Jesus. He doesn't turn anybody away. This woman's got on a reputation. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Why is that important? It's important because it was customary for women in the first century to wear alabaster flasks. They had no handles, they were flasks that would be worn around the neck with a chain. Uh, so acceptable it was that they were okay as part of the dress for the Sabbath. I mean, you could wear, the women were allowed to wear these into the temple. It was accepted as part of their dress. But these alabaster flasks, particularly those that were filled with perfume and ointment, often would contain very, very valuable contents. Often, um, Believe it or not, these perfumes and these ointments contained mixes of herbs and spices that had come all the way from India. And for a lady who had an enormous reputation and no friends, this alabaster flask represented a lot more. Because for many ladies in the first century, this lady uh, that we're going to meet today, this this Mary, she didn't have a husband. She had to fend for herself and what is contained in this flask would be her life savings. In fact, they were considered to be an investment. It was so valuable. How do we know that the contents were valuable? Because in two of the accounts, including John 12, everybody pipes up and says, what a waste. Interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Interesting. Somebody here didn't think this was a waste. But they all said, what a waste. We could have sold this. It's worth 300 denarii. About a year's salary in today's language. Anywhere from about sixty to maybe $80,000 worth of contents in that jar. And this lady will pour out the whole lot on the feet of Jesus. Before this story ends, she will empty the entire contents. She will break the jar over his feet in preparation for his burial. The truth is, as we read this account, the truth is we all have alabaster flasks. We all have something that we hold tightly. We all have things of this world that we consider valuable. 
But when you meet, when you encounter the king of all the universe, everything else pales into insignificance. You see a different value system. Mary began to have a completely different value system now. Mary comes in, imagine this for a moment. Not only did women hold a low position in the first century Jerusalem, but it is poignant to remember that this place was full of guests. Uh, John 12 tells us the, the common theme that weaves its way through this account is that it happened in Bethany. In the last week of Jesus' life, he, he kind of travelled between Bethany and Jerusalem. This account happened in Bethany. In John 12, we're told that it happened at, at a person's house, but that Lazarus was there and Martha was there. Lazarus, he's probably like, well, man, I was happy where I was. So there's a lot of guests. There's a lot of very important people. Have a look at what this woman does. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, very expensive, valuable ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Two words sum up what is happening here right now. Reckless abandonment. Mary walks into a house full of guests and doesn't care what one of them thinks. Mary walks into a house full of guests, prominent people, important people, not her house, completely uninvited, doesn't even reference, doesn't ask, doesn't care. The only important person in Mary's vision right there and then is the person of Jesus Christ. She doesn't care what anybody else says. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I'm going to honour Jesus. But what I love the most is Jesus doesn't stop her. Jesus didn't turn around to this woman and say, what do you think you're doing? There's a time and a place for this. No. By the way, there's never, if you're trying to set a time and a place, it just doesn't happen. If, I've heard people say, you know what, I, I just need to live and, and, I, and I'll get established. And then, you know, once I'm married and settled down, I'll, I'll start coming back to church. Okay, yeah. Still waiting for most of those people to do that, by the way. Jesus doesn't say there's a time and a place. Jesus doesn't correct her. Jesus doesn't do any of that. Jesus allows her to empty the flask. On her feet, on his feet. Now, when the Pharisee, I like this part, be careful, just as a digression, be careful what you think or what your inner dialogue says. We may not be able to hear it, but it turns out Jesus can hear it. We're going to have a listen to this. Now, when the Pharisee, Simon, the leper, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, if. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is. Jesus knows exactly who she is and knows exactly what sort of woman she is. Who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And so are you, Simon. I love this next verse. And Jesus answering him. Anybody notice that Simon didn't ask a question? 
It's kind of like Nicodemus. Nicodemus doesn't even get a word out in John chapter 3. And it says, Jesus answered him. (laughs) But he didn't say anything. He didn't have to. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. (laughs) But you took those words back. Verse 41. He says, a certain moneylender. I love this parable. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Verse 42, very important verse. And when they could not pay, he cancelled, powerful word, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love more? Now, we're moving to a point at the end here, but I want to give you a bit of a snippet. If you're sitting here this morning saying to yourself, and I do say this to myself, I do pray this prayer, Lord, I want to love you more. If you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, what is the answer to me loving Christ more? It's a recognition of how much he loves you. I personally believe, and this parable begins to highlight, I personally believe Easter will tell us the story that if we grab the revelation of how much Jesus loves us, we would throw open our alabaster flasks at his feet. We live in a society today that couldn't tell you what the word sin means. We live in a society today where even our pulpits are devoid of speaking about sin. But the reality is that every person is born with an enormous debt that you can't pay. You can't pay the debt and God has chosen that if you will accept, he will completely cancel your debt. And when Jesus tells this parable, I am convinced that Simon thinks he's, he's registering, I'm the 50. <laughs> I bet you Jesus thought that Mary's the 50 and you're the 500, Simon. However, when they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love more, will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. He said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, so now Jesus takes his focus off everybody else in the room and turns his focus to the woman. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now, as I said before, when God asks us a question, he's not looking for information. Kind of like, I give the example of Genesis chapter 3, you know, when when God says to Adam, where are you? It's not like he lost him for a minute. Where Where did I put that guy? That's not what happened. Jesus doesn't need any information here. Jesus knows the answer to this question. The problem is Simon doesn't know the answer to this question. Because Simon's sitting there thinking, yeah, I can see this woman. I can see somebody that walks in here, busts up my dinner party. And Jesus wants him to know, you actually don't see this woman. But there's a problem here that we're going to come to at the end. Because it's not only this woman that Simon can't see. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Completely discourteous, by the way, to not offer any water when you enter another person's house. You gave me no kiss, respect, no respect. I showed up at your door, Simon. You had a place for me at your table, but you didn't even give me a kiss. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my You did not anoint my head with oil. Disrespect. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Why? For she loved much. How did she love? Lord, how can I increase my love for you? I I want to make it abundantly clear this morning. This account here makes it clear. All of scripture makes it clear that your heart will show up in your actions. What Jesus wants Simon to know is, you can't see this woman and you can't see me. Why? Why has she done this? Why has she loved much, Simon? Because when I came here, you barely gave me any respect or honour, but this woman has poured out her whole life. She's pulled out her whole life. She hasn't given an account of anything. Judas would stand up and say, we could have sold this and given the money to the poor. And Jesus was so right when he said, you'll always have the poor, but you're not always going to have me. Praise God. And I want to tell you this morning that your love for Christ shows up in your actions. Her sins, which are many, he says, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Simon couldn't see his sin. Simon couldn't see his debt. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? (laughs) There's no secret answer to that. Simple, God is the only one that can forgive sins. What is Jesus saying? I'm not just a guest at your house, Simon. I'm just not another celebrity that you can add to your repertoire. I, I, I didn't come here to sit at a place at your table. I came here to conquer your hearts. Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf would say that his heart was conquered when he beheld that picture And Mary Magdalene would say that this Jesus set me free and he's conquered my heart. And I hold nothing back. I hold nothing back. As I'm speaking this morning, I am convinced that there are people here this morning that have alabaster flasks that Jesus wants to take. That you're hanging on to portions of this world. Verse 50, and he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I'm going to ask the worship team if they can come and tinker. We're going to repeat that song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. I want to finish with a story today that struck me during this week. Uh, I, I watched a movie, and I won't tell you the title of the movie yet, but I watched a movie that absolutely struck me this week, and 
on December 23rd, 1991, it would be a date that wouldn't resonate with any of us in this room here, but December 23rd, 1991, a very great tragedy unfolded in a place called Texas, which is a little place in northern Mexico. But what actually happened was that day, uh, a gentleman by the name of Cameron Todd Willingham would be woken by his daughter to his house on fire. And as he rushes into the room, it's already ablaze. You see, uh, Cameron Todd Willingham was well known by the police. He had a big reputation amongst law enforcement. He, he had a string of minor offences from assault. Uh, the relationship with him and his now wife was somewhat tumultuous. She would testify that I left as many bruises on him as he did on me. And she was away that morning but would come home to find the house completely engulfed in flames. By the time firefighters got there, it was too late. Uh, the the neighbour across the road would say, I saw Todd trying to break in. Everybody that knew him would say he loved those girls. But that's not what law enforcement said. You see, what law enforcement did was investigators on January the 8th, 1992, they would come and arrest Todd Willingham. I'm done it. And they would put him on trial for the murder of his three daughters. They called in an arson expert and his testimony was, you know what, I've seen over 1,200 fires, I've testified in over 1,200 cases and I've never been wrong. He says, look at the burn patterns on the floor, look at the burn patterns up the wall, look at the crazed glass. It's all an indication that there was petroleum used. They, they took a picture off the wall and they said, you know what, that, of a heavy metal band and said he's a devil worshipper. They came to Todd Willingham and they said, we'll give you a life sentence in exchange for a guilty plea. He said, I will never admit to killing my three girls. When he got to jail, they beat him senseless. He's lucky to survive the beatings. He spent day after day after day with everybody up and down death row yelling out, baby killer. Twelve years he would spend on death row. A lady finally picks up the case. She wanted to write a play about his story, but she found there was inconsistencies. She found that the witness that said this has changed her story three times, that the guy that you got didn't even know Todd that well, and you gave him an early sentence to let him out. And and then she said, this this evidence doesn't make any sense. She went and met Todd. It doesn't make sense. And she finally sends the, all the evidence, which, by the way, was fire evidence, to a guy by the name of Gerald Hurst. Gerald Hurst would take two days to look over the report, looked at every bit of evidence, combed through every word, would stand up and give demonstrations, debunking the whole scenario with the petroleum, and said, everybody's overlooked the the heater that's right underneath the window that's shorted out because you can see the black and it went up the curtains and and Cameron Todd Willingham would die by lethal injection on February the 17th. 
Later on, somebody picked it up and said, something's wrong here. And although this sounds like a social justice issue, and it is, and although this story today sounds like a social justice issue, there are elements and applications of that. Uh, Gerald Hurst would stand up and say, do you know what the number one problem was? The number one problem was when those investigators walked in, they saw what they wanted to see. And the problem is that when people pick up this book here half the time and and when we look at Jesus, we see what we want to see. Simon saw what he wanted to see. Mary saw Jesus. Gerald Hurst and a team of arson investigators looked at exactly the same evidence but came up with stark contrasts in conclusions. And we all look at exactly the same Jesus Simon and Mary looked at exactly the same Jesus. But if you would see Jesus, oh, that he would open the eyes of our hearts. If you see Jesus, you'll break open your flasks, people. He realigns our value systems. My prayer is that you would see Jesus this morning. Not what everybody else tells you. Let This Easter, let us, let us come to Easter, not with what everybody else tells us. Forget about Easter eggs. Forget about all the fairy tales. Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the real Jesus. Jesus is not in a tomb. He's alive. Let us pray. Father, I'm powerless here this morning. I'm powerless to do any more but to ask you that you would open every one of our eyes. I need my eyes opened. We all need our eyes open, and we plead with you, open our eyes. Let us see Jesus. If we see just a slight glimpse of his glory, it will transform us for eternity. Father, I pray, open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our eyes to see our Saviour. Open our eyes to see the one that hugged that cross in our place. I thank you, Father, that you don't turn any one of us away. I pray that everyone in this room, Lord, would, would take that flask from around our necks and break it on your feet. That we wouldn't hold anything of this world. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.